and needed those lessons of retail, of understanding what to do, what I did wrong, to build me the bridge to get me to the next place I was going. That information, that was my MBA in the School of Hard Knocks, right? Hey there. So one of the themes that has emerged again and again on the show is that of rejection and how in so many ways that is simply the rite of passage to success. Now, this week's Billion Dollar Byte is from my work archives earlier this year when I was in Austin with my firm Beyond the Billion and our sponsor Brown Advisory hosting a conversation with Kendra Scott. Yes, Kendra Scott, the jewelry mogul leading a brand after her name. Valued at over a billion dollars, named Ernst & Young's Entrepreneur of the Year and even recognized in the Texas Business Hall of Fame. Despite how things turned out, she calls herself an unlikely candidate growing up in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which is home to farmers and factory workers, not fashion designers. She didn't finish college, her first business was a failure, and the 2009 recession nearly wiped out everything she had. She had her fair share of thanks but no thanks, and then some. Yet within the span of two decades, Scott has built a billion-dollar jewelry empire with just a $500 investment and some serious hustle. We talk about her mistakes, bootstrapping, choosing the right funder, and making really tough choices with the people you work with. You don't want to miss this one. I don't look at them as regrets or mistakes because if I hadn't had that first failed business, I wouldn't have the successful business I have today. I needed those lessons of retail, of understanding what to do, what I did wrong, to build me the bridge to get me to the next place I was going. That information, that was my MBA in the School of Hard Knocks, right? And every single thing that has happened, the recession, was the greatest gift that ever happened to Kendra Scott because we would have just stayed going into wholesale, stayed safe. That forced us to have to look at our business differently. So I think as we're going to have things that happen, Life is not going to be rainbows and butterflies every day. Those things that we have there to look at them as an opportunity for growth, or we look at them as, as saying, oh, I give up. You know, that happened to me, and I failed here, and I'm done. If I would have done that, we would have been right out of the box, let me tell you. Um, so I think for me, I mean, I really appreciate all of these, and I would say business and life are peaks and valleys. The valleys of my life have given me the greatest peaks of my life, and I had to walk through that valley to get there. So there's not a lot that I would really that I regret. I think the thing of the lesson I've learned the most is I've lesson learned that you have to hire on your core values. That someone that comes to you with a gold-plated resume but does not share your core values, do not hire them. They could have the greatest experience in the world, but they will be a cancer to your organization and your team. And I've had to learn that the hard way because I did hire, oh, look at all the things she or he has done. They're going to be such a great asset. But, oh, when I interviewed them, which is something that made me feel a little sick to my stomach. And I don't know what it was. Um, and then we, right? And then we get them here, and you realize, wow, it doesn't matter because you really have to hire under core values. And we hire on heart here first. And it took me some very big hiring mistakes before I realized how important that truly was. We also talked about making tough business decisions, including her pivoting from only working with distributors to building in retail, a very different proposition. We went through a couple of pivotal changes as well with the business, right? From working with distributors to then saying, yeah, we need our stores, right? And then became, as you say, a 20-year overnight success. Yeah. Talk to us about like the, the decision-making on bringing partners 
around the table for you to succeed. Yeah, I mean, I think part of having, you know, that advisory board was such a critical thing for me, and it did give me so many great disciplines um, and a foundation for my business. But what it basically also said was my advisor said, look, Kendra, build a business and they will come. Your phone will start ringing. Build the very best business you can build um, and do things that are disruptive and new, and they're going to be coming to you. You're not going to have to be looking as much for them. And I was like, well, that's all great and fine, but I'm still like on a shoestring here, and I only have so much line of credit and things I'm trying to juggle. And my, yeah, I knew my float down to the, you know, about to $200 exactly where we were with money coming in and money going out. But I, I look at, I looked at all of that, and, and we still just we kept our head down and we were scrappy. And I think what you mentioned is, you know, I'm a, I was a single mom in those early stages with two little boys, and so in all aspects of my life budget, being thoughtful about how to stretch a dollar, how to maximize every dollar I spent both at home and in the business. All those elements were an amazing thing for a founder and CEO to have. Um, they were really our superpowers and our gifts, and I always say that, um, because we were able to take very small things and be able to do, maximize those, those opportunities. And so, you know, as we grew, I was only selling wholesale to where I would know, okay, I got my order, I shipped it, I get paid for my order. I don't have to worry about it. I'm never going to get into retail. That's scary business. I already did that once. It didn't work out so good in my first business. And 2008 hit, and we had a huge financial crisis. Stores that I was working with were shuttering left and right. Relationships that I had built with other buyers at the big department stores, they were getting laid off. Um, department stores were wanting to go to direct to create their own private label uh, versus utilizing designer brands like mine. And it was just this huge like wake-up call. And I call them in my book, Shake the Snow Globe Moments, of the safe route of just selling to wholesale was not going to get me to where I was going to go. It, one, could actually have me lose my business if I stayed in this one, one path. But more than anything, we weren't going to move forward and grow. And then I had to take a risk. I had to move forward. And I knew that the one relationship I was missing in my business was the most important one, and that was a direct relationship to my customer. Right now, all my other stores were selling my products for me. We weren't selling our products direct to our consumer. And so first started e-commerce, opened our first retail store in Austin when all the stores in South Congress around me were shuttering. We opened a retail store. People were like, you're out of your mind. Um, and we wanted to be disruptive and that we wanted to learn every day from our customer to grow the best business we could grow. And that first store, we had lines around the block during the recession. We were a recession-proof brand because we were attainable luxury. We were giving people and women the ability to buy something that they felt good about, that they could wear, that they could attain it, they could afford it in this very uncertain economic time. And watching these lines around the block, it was kind of like, this was our aha moment. Uh, maybe we're onto something, but still, we had no investors, none. So I opened Austin, I opened Dallas, same experience, lines across around the blocks of these department stores. And let me tell you what happened. These firms that were investing in other retailers were walking into these shopping centers and going, who is that and what are they doing? Um, we had lines like Apple. I mean, it was crazy, you know? And, and they saw it and all of a sudden our phone started ringing and investors wanting to learn what is going on, what are you guys doing? What is causing this reaction in retail? We haven't seen this. 
And it really was exciting because we went from a seven-person team um, in about $2 million in revenue to $5 million in revenue to $12 million in revenue to $25 million in revenue to $75 million in revenue. And with this growth was just phenomenal with about a 40% EBITDA. And you know, we're going out there and we couldn't get capital. And then finally, we started getting these firms you know, coming to us and it was really exciting. Our first investor we brought in at 120 million valuation um, in 2013. And three years later, our company was valued at $1.1 billion. And so it was a very good investment. <laughs> um, but it was unbelievable to see that power. Um, we finally, I was able to take some of that weight off my shoulders. I wasn't having to personal guarantee every lease anymore. I was able to get my line off of our line of credit where it was just Kentra Scott. Uh, we now, I had partners across the table that had an aligned vision of what we wanted to do and allowed me to be the founder that I was. They didn't want to change me. They were like, you're what we want to learn because this isn't happening in retail. And it was just a wonderful partnership that led us to our next partnership. Yeah, and I absolutely love this. I mean, this is a case study of everything that Shelly and I talk about all the time. When we, we get asked, why do you think women outperform by 23 to 63%, right? Why is it that, you know, with half invested, the revenues are 2x, and we were talking about this earlier, Ryan. And the reason is exactly this, that because it's good news, bad news, it's so hard for women <laughs> to get capital, they've had to learn how to stretch that dollar and make the most of it. And guess what? The moment she gets the capital, she's a billion dollars. Well, and, and let me tell you, when we got it, I wasn't like, woo, let's spend the money. I was like, oh my God, okay, we have money. Um, now we have to like protect this money and how are we going to take this and make this 500 million? How are we going to? And so that is still the mentality. 22 years later, I mean, we have that startup mentality. We have that appreciation, I do, especially as founder, knowing how hard it was, you never take it for granted. You never are complacent. You never are like, oh, we made it. I'm always like, Kat, team, we gotta be better than we were yesterday. We have, now that we are valued at this, that means we have to work even harder. We don't work less, we work more, right? We're working stronger and harder. So it's a, it is an amazing mentality. This year, a funny statistic came up that I wanted to mention. I always said in speeches that there were more male CEOs named John than there were female CEOs. This is the first year. You guys, this is exciting. There are the first year that there are now more female CEOs than those named John. <laughs> I mean, first time, not by a lot, maybe like 10 or something. But I can't use that in my speeches anymore. So progress is happening. It's not happening at the rate you would like it to happen. But it is exciting to see there is traction. And you have to think about, too, women coming out of the workforce during the pandemic. I mean, we had to go back home. And I'm here I am running a company. We are 96% women. Many of us moms, I'm looking at one in the audience, who are now at home teaching our kids, trying to figure out how to do our jobs, and to have a community of women that supported each other. I always say mothers are the greatest people to hire in the world. A mother knows how to multitask better than any human on the planet. And the pandemic showed us we grew during the pandemic as a company because we were 96% women and we were a bunch of mothers 
who were just like, we're not, this ain't gonna get us down. Oh, we deal with runny noses every day. You know, like we got this. And it was amazing because that spirit, that energy brought us forward. And like I said, we're gonna have, I mean, wait till next year. There's maybe more female CEOs named Jane than there will be John. <laughs> <laughs>
And what a way to end this episode with Alice Walker from The Color Purple. The most common way people give up their power is by thinking they don't have any. Until next time, Bill and Dollar Mover, what will you do with your power today? And thanks so much for tuning in this week. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow our socials on Sarah Chen Global to get the latest on the show. It would really help me out too if you enjoyed this to rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts and share your favorite episodes with a friend. I'm Sarah Chen Spellings and you've been listening to Billion Dollar Moves. <laughs>